Mm. Yeah. So, uh, Tim, let's talk uh, Academy Award nominations. Yeah. The 91st um, Academy Awards. We are nine years away from the 100th Academy Awards. Which, which seems like uh, is going to be a host list Academy yeah, Awards. Yeah, it will be. It will so be. So that's, uh, that's going to be interesting. But, the nominations, though, um, I, I have two complaints. We'll talk about those later. Yeah. Let's talk about the things that I'm perfectly happy about. Happy about uh, Black Panther and Black, Black Klansman and Spike. Yeah. Happy about... Um, Spike's first ever directing nomination. Directing nomination. And he got a screenplay uh, yeah. nomination as well. Um, uh, um, uh, happy about Roma. Yeah. Uh, interesting uh, nominations in both categories, uh, foreign and best picture. Has that ever, ever happened before? Yeah. So, uh, film. There have been. It is the fifth film to be nominated in both best foreign language category and the best picture category. And all four previous films uh, did not win best picture, but they did win uh, best foreign language film. And it is the tenth. Uh, uh, what's let me think of what the other statistic is. It's the uh, the 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 tenth uh, tenth foreign film to be nominated for best picture. Mm -hmm. So ten foreign films have been nominated for best picture. Five of them also nominated the same year in best, best foreign. foreign best mm -hmm. foreign. None of them have won best picture. So no foreign language film has ever won best picture. The only foreign made film uh outside of british films that is one best picture is the artist yeah but they're all you know like the other like hamlet i think was the first uh non-american film to win best picture and then obviously there's chariots of fire and gandhi and yeah. you know a lot of other uh, Brit a, a fair number of british films have won uh man for all seasons right a fair number of british films have won uh, best picture um, but yeah, it's uh, it's an uphill climb for Roma. Uh, it's uh, the most it's the most nominated foreign language film uh, since uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which got ten nominations as well. It, 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 the the concern is that the Academy voters have been nominated for both best foreign yeah. and best picture will simply default to best foreign. Yeah, uh, and which means that it definitely will not win best picture, which of course is unfair to all of the other films in the best foreign category. Because, it is because uh, so you. Yeah. You really, you, you 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 might not necessarily be being fair to the movie to Roma. You know, we you do that. We do a thing in Lafka, which I think is very fair. Which is every year, there's a discussion before we vote, which is, hey, you know, um, do we have any documentaries, animated films, or foreign language films that could be legitimate contenders for Best Picture? Straight up. And then we, which are, we gave to Roma, which we gave to Roma, right? So, and we, and because Roma won Best Picture, we voted the other award afterwards. We mm -hmm. wanted to give all, of, we want to give those films a chance to win Best Picture. At which point, we then will vote the other awards. Mm -hmm. So we don't wait till the end to do Best Picture. And I think that's fair because we don't want a film to take both. If it wins Best Picture, okay, now another foreign language film. And this year, we gave it to Burning. Burning mm -hmm. got Best Foreign Language Film. Roma got Best Picture. And I kind of wish the Academy would make some arrangement in the same way. And I don't know how they could because their voting isn't the same as ours. But it would be nice if there were a way of saying, you know, animated documentary, foreign language films that have a real chance of getting, once they're nominated, we will, maybe, maybe what you do is that, you know, you tabulate the votes. And if those films get nominated for Best Picture, then you remove it from the other category and whatever came in sixth 
moves, moves up, up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Maybe you do something like that. I don't know. It's, it's a difficult sort of thing. I, I, I like the notion of, of sort of denationalizing these yeah. categories. You know, yeah. you know, a best picture ought to be a best picture. should make any difference what language is being spoken. True. Uh, one of the things that, that has hurt foreign language cinema in, the, in, in America, in, in yeah. North America anyway, um, um, over the last 25 or 30 years, I think has been that sort of categorizing of things like that. True. And we, we simply stopped talking about movies as movies. Uh, the way we used well, to, that's, in the, even in the 90s. That's what's nice about film festivals, is that you have these juries. When you go to Cannes, or to Venice, or you know whatever, or Berlin, you have these juries that are comprised of people from all over the globe. Mm -hmm. It'll be you know an American director, and a German film critic, and a you know a Japanese uh, producer, and and you know a, a a Senegalese actress, right? And you know you, you suddenly you have this really eclectic mix of people. Mm -hmm. And the fun part there is that nobody says, "Ooh, I wonder what the best film will be." The fun part is you look at that group of people and you go, "What an amazing! I wonder what they'll agree on, mm -hmm. right?" And and, and, it, and it might very well be anything. It, 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 you never know. Uh, from 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 a Lars von Trier film yeah. to a Quentin Tarantino film, depending on what year it is. So uh, in language and whatnot, uh, it just simply doesn't matter. I Black uh, Klansman did well. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think the last two years, this whole new Academy class that has come in, it's much more international. And so it may be more inclined to vote for something like Roma, mm -hmm. but I, as best picture, straight up. But I don't think there. It's it's still you know uh, like sixteen fifteen hundred non English native speakers in the academy compared to nine thousand mm. mostly Americans and a few Brits and Australians. I don't think is gonna you mm. know uh, make that much of a dent. However, running down it, the favorite in Roma tied with ten nominations apiece. Uh, a Star Is Born got eight. It got exactly all eight nominations I expected it to get, minus the one I thought it would get, which, which is Bradley is, Cooper for yeah, director. Interesting. That yeah. it did not get. Uh, Vice also got eight, which surprises me. That's that's about five too many. Yeah. Uh, Black Panther with seven. Yeah, solid. solid. Although Ryan Coogler not nominated. That, no. That that oh, makes or 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 uh, Michael B. Jordan. And Michael B. Jordan. Uh, the, that's one of my big issues. We'll talk about it when we get uh, there. Black Klansman nominated in every category. I expected it to get except for Best Actor. Yeah. yeah well, you know. That was, that I, was a bit of a surprise to yeah. me. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody got five. That's about one more than it deserves. Yeah, I maybe think two. four more than it deserves. Four Rami, more. <laughs> Rami Malek was, was fine. Everything yeah. else we don't really... Yeah. Yeah. Do you, and, and as a pause here, the Atlantic, we should mention the Atlantic, uh, just ran with a, a two-year researched blockbuster piece on Brian Singer that mm. uh, is definitely in Harvey Weinstein territory, and it is oh, heavily... surpasses. It surpasses it. Yeah. It's, it's heavily sourced and researched and, uh, and legally vetted, and uh, man, is it a rough read. It is, it's a rough read. The question is, will that because they already no one no one even mentioned him at the Golden Globes, mm -hmm. even though the film won. He, yeah, he had, best to, mention, he had to mention himself. <laughs> yeah. So so did will that will that hurt Rami Malek? Um, I, no, it will not. It will not accrue to him. It will accrue to all those other categories. Though. Yeah, I agree. Rami is liked in and of himself, yeah. and he gave a great performance. And I think that um, the, 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 the yeah, but but those other categories, yeah, it's going to hurt hurt it there. And then we also have also with five nominations is Green Book. And yeah, that's a little. That's that's yeah, it's actually five too many. Yeah, and uh, right below that is a bunch of stuff that has no chance of taking anything at all, uh, except for Beale Street, which has three, which could get score and probably. And I, and score. I do not understand ten ten slots. 
Uh, eight nominations, yeah. not Beale Street. I just yeah. don't understand that. Didn't hit the threshold. <laughs> and I know there's a math thing that goes there is. on. You have to get so many votes of a certain yada, yada, yada percentage, right? There's like an algorithm mm. that determines it. And I, look, I, I've said it from the beginning. I think Beale Street is a, uh, it's a Bertolucci film. Yeah. It's very European. Um, As but is it will, all Barry's films. But you know, it'll, As it, are all Barry's Beale Street films. will win too. It'll win two awards. Mm. It'll win two of its three. It's gonna win. Uh, it's gonna win supporting actress, mm. and it's gonna win. Jamie uh, King probably win scri- uh, score, probably, That's but not sc- certainly. Not certainly. A couple others. Yeah. 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 But uh, anyway, you know, Mary Queen of Scots and Cold War, and Can You Ever Forgive Me, which is a lovely three. I mean, I that's should have probably gotten a few more. Uh, Bow to Buster Scruggs. Uh, you know, those are. Those are the ones that uh, aren't going to really do much. They're just going to kind of sit there. So, um, but you know what? At this point, I got to be honest. I'm feeling like Green Book is the odds-on favorite to win. It doesn't deserve it. It doesn't deserve it. What did did, uh, John John Powers? uh, Oh, John Powers. (laughs) John Powers of, uh, uh, what does he write for now? Vogue? He's writing for Vogue. Uh, John Powers of Vogue. He said it's the the most daring film of 1965. (laughs) It still makes me laugh. Well, because it's basically a Sidney <laughs> uh, Poitier movie. Oh, sure, it's a Sidney Poitier it movie. Uh, but it, it's, it, it, it's driving it's, this Daisy and a certain. It's 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 it pushes the same buttons as The Help and uh, and uh, Hidden Figures. It's it's here's why I think it's likely to win. And I didn't think so originally because it just felt so. It felt like that. It felt mm. so formulaic and so calculated and so kind of. You know, arduously politically correct. Oh, particularly the, when juxtaposed to a movie like Black Panther and yeah, Black Klansman exactly. at the exact same moment in history. Although Driving Miss Daisy was juxtaposed to Do the Right Thing yeah. at that exact same moment in history. And and the thing is, I thought this is just you know this is just like white liberal guilt bending over backwards in a cheery buddy movie, and it ends like planes, trains, and automobiles. Mm. You literally turn. Don Shirley and Mahershala Ali into John Candy <laughs> at the end of that movie. Steve, you do, and I'm sorry. This is, you know, this is a spoiler. Turn it off for about ten seconds. But it's like, you know, here he is. He's all alone. Won't you come and have yeah, dinner it's, with it's, us? It's, oh, it's, thank you. Now and I then got there a are a couple of actually objectionable I, moments in the movie. When there he, are when he takes him, when he takes him down there and introduces him to, to, to the black music. Yeah, look, this is the music of your people. Yeah. yeah. Oh my it's, god. So, but but you know what? I I. I keep meeting people who say, I loved it. it I, I know plenty of them. And, uh, my mother-in-law, my mother. Uh, and, uh, and so I, it, it just feels to me like, you know, the Academy clearly, when we look at the, at the, um, at the Best Picture nominees, all eight of those films, uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting mix because it, it's the first year in a long time where I feel like everything diverges radically from the Spirit Awards. Mm. And if you remember the year that... Um, uh, the year of uh, well, if, gosh, for the, like the past decade, probably uh, those two have been moving closer and closer together. In particularly in terms of the very, the very specific indie selections, Beasts of the Southern Wild, yeah. and and, yeah. and all these little Winter's Bone, all the yeah. they on they were on a, a very similar indie path. And Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star Is Born, and Vice. Big, big, there is big not movies. a single movie there that will be nominated for a Spirit Award. No. Not one. No. And the movies from the Spirit Awards are not showing up here. No. Really. Uh, you know, the Deborah Granick film, oh, yeah. Paul, Paul Schrader's yeah. film. You know, those. The, boy the, Erased. Boy uh, Erased. Beautiful, beautiful Boy. The, I, 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 yeah. none, of the, none, of the, none of the little Lindy's. You know. Destroyer, right? Yeah. 
No, whole, no, no, Nicole Kidman on that no list. No, Nicole Kidman. That whole class of indies is shut out from the Oscars this time mm. in a very interesting way. Uh, and uh, I thought, okay, that's really interesting. Um, that's that's really super interesting because what that means is the Academy is very aware of the fact suddenly that they've been nominating films that nobody has seen and mm. nobody will ever see, and they're not going to get ratings out of them. So I think there is suddenly this awareness for Jay. We better nominate some studio films. And boom, there you go. You know, you've got, uh, I mean, you you look at this rundown, Warner Brothers, Universal, 20th Century Fox, Mm. Walt Disney, four of the eight films it's like the, big it's, studio it's, it's films. Like, it's like the 1965 Academy yeah. Awards. Yeah. Know, it's, it's, and you, then you got Annapurna for Vice and, and Focus for Black Klansman and then two from, from Netflix. Um, but uh, that's really, really interesting to me. That's but really but even those films have elements, have A-list elements, Christian yeah. Bale and Vice, A-list element. And yes. I, I mean a number of A-list elements, but certainly Christian. Uh, and Spike Lee being the director of Black Klansman, A-list element. Uh, these are not, Deborah, again, you, you mentioned yeah. Deborah Grenick directed Winter's Bone a couple of few years, years ago. And then she, and then she did uh, the, uh, um, this year it's... Um, oh, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, Without a Trace. Without a Trace. Uh, um, which is a very good movie, been Foster, yeah, um, uh, and uh, but you know we were talking about this movie, uh, yeah. but no, uh, and so the very uh, as good a movie as Winter's Bone, but yeah. not this year, not this year. They'll, I don't think there'll ever be any Beast of the Southern Wilds again. Probably, you know, it, it, probably not for a while at least. Now the other thing is uh, the other thing I think that weighs against Roma is that it was done by Netflix, and Roma had kind of an interesting theatrical release at least initially, which was. It was you could only see it uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then Netflix pulled it on Thursday through Sunday because if they want, if people are going to have a movie watching thing on the weekend, they want you watching it on Netflix. Mm-hmm. If people insist on going to a theater to see it because Netflix hates theaters, well, then fine, do it on a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday with the rest of you cinephiles, and, yeah. and we're not losing too much in too much by way of traffic. Which I think is a very cynical thing to do, and I think a lot of people will resent that. Mm. Uh, so I think uh, people will probably give it best director, give Quaron his second best director. Uh, see, that, that's the thing that this film has going. People yeah. like, yeah, Quaron. Th- that people like on- him. They you, actually like him. That's it. You honor Quaron yeah. without honoring Netflix. Yeah. It, it, look, man. Again, we've been talking about this in the Tomato Slam. I think we're going to be putting yeah. up here in a, in, in, in a minute or so. Uh, that begins with the notion that we are actually seeing the fundamental uh, metamorphosis of the film, the movie business, uh, the movie yeah. business, the film business as we know it. We just I don't are. know where it lands, and I don't yeah. know where it lands. I really uh, don't. I think. Well, I got Netflix has got about the balls right now, man. They made Con- Can the folks at Can mad. I guess yeah. it was last year they made them mad because you know they, they did the screenings. And they yeah. Did it. So Can stopped it. So it said, "Well, we're not going to show your movies here, right? We're not going to yeah. show them." And Netflix says, "Well, you know what? We don't really give a fuck." Well, and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and now and now they have these Academy Award, this uh, you know, and and they win. I think they win. Yeah. This is what winning looks like. So uh, let's run through some of the major categories yeah. real quickly. Uh, leading actor, who do you think is going to win? Um, uh, run down the list: uh, Christian Bale, Bradley Cooper, Willem Dafoe, Rami Malek, and Viggo Mortensen. <sighs> You know, people like uh, Rami, but I think it might be um, uh, Bradley's uh, consolation prize for not getting that Best Director's nomination. 
Uh, and he's also a like person. And I'm going to really say that really a like. lot, folks, because a lot of this has to do with whether or not you are like. Oh, that's it. Absolutely. You know. And that's also why I think Green Book stands a good chance of winning, because with the preferential ballot, where mm-hmm. you're not just saying, I want this one to win, but where you're saying, well, this is my one, two, three, four, five, and then there's this, again, an, the algorithm again, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, which can, tends to result in picture-director splits more often than not. I think uh, the film that typically wins now is the one that is least hated. Mm. As opposed to the one that's most liked. <laughs> it's most liked. <laughs> so I think Green Book is the one that is least hated. Oh, that's uh, so sad. But uh, yeah, I think I think Rami Malek still has it. Um, supporting actor, where we got Mahershala Ali, the first best actor to actually be in a supporting category. Uh, I mean, seriously, come on. He's yeah. nominated as a supporting actor in his own movie. Yeah, it's not about the chauffeur. It's just, it's just, 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 just. Uh, the white dude is driving the brother. The brat makes the brother the star of the movie. That's crazy. Uh, never mind. Adam Driver in Black Klansman. Sam Elliott in The Star Is Born. Richard E. Grant. Can you ever forgive me? And Sam Rockwell in Vice. Nobody saw Richard E. Grant in that movie. Can you no. ever forgive me? Which no. is unfortunate. Um, I have to say, the the person not nominated is Michael B. Jordan yeah. for Black. Panther playing Killmonger. Mm-hmm. I think there's a prejudice there that has to do with the nature of that movie, big old Marvel action yeah. movie. We now, sure. but even as I say that, I point out that we gave Heath Ledger that posthumous yeah. Oscar for playing the Joker. True. In that Batman movie. Yeah. So I so I so I reject that notion that oh it's because he's in a Marvel movie. No no no. I mean, unless he had to die or something. Yeah. And I'm sorry you you could not have watched Black Panther without without seeing this guy playing this movie to Shakespearean proportions. He's and also, playing he's playing Richard III. And also not a, not exactly a villain. He has a point of view. Oh. So he's not just he's not just trying to destroy the universe. Yeah. Which, which yeah. goes back to that screenplay. So he's but he's not nominated here. So whatever. Um. I don't know. Um, Sam, Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott's an old man. Sam yeah. Elliott married Catherine Ross. Yeah. Done. Stayed that, married to her forever. Uh, that's why you give him this award. Although, he's great of, in the movie, too. Of, but, of, but of the performances, the performances I like the best is Adam Driver in Black Klansman. So understated. True. So easy breezy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I really preferred that. Those are those are definitely my two favorites. Yeah. Uh, actress in a leading role: Yalitza Aparicio, Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, Lady Gaga, and Melissa, McCar- uh, Melissa McCarthy. The Glenn Close nomination. I'm sorry, I just don't get that. The uh, Melissa yeah. McCarthy nomination. No, I'm sorry. Just walking around with that little bob, being mean. I can still see you, Melissa. Yeah. I can still see you, Melissa. <laughs> um, you know, and people are going all goofy about Lady Gaga's performance. But you know what? I've been to a Lady Gaga performance, yeah. a concert. Kind of the same chick. Yeah. Kind of the same chick. Um, uh, you know, I, I feel like I want to give it to Yulatsia Aparicio. She, yeah. I know nothing of her as an actress. She's very different from how she is in the movie. So I, so I, so she, so she, she got me. She yeah. got me whole and complete. So there you go. I, I'm going with Olivia Coleman. Yeah. Uh, supporting actress Amy Adams for wearing a wig, uh, Marina de Tavira in Roma, Regina King, Emma Stone, and Rachel Weisz going to cancel each other out for the favorite. Uh, I think Regina King walks away with that, not even blinking. Ever since, ever since two two seven, she has yeah. been on people's TV screens and movie screens. That girl is gonna, me, she's the hardest working actress for she's, thirty years. She is the James Brown of, bla- of, 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 of actresses in Hollywood, yeah. and she's she's damn good in that movie. You know, I I interviewed her uh, at the. A million years ago. It was a million years. I don't even want to count. A million years ago from when (laughs) Stella got her groove back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's like a second... She's down the line on that that cast. And, And she was so grateful. And I remember even after the interview... 
Um, a lot of the press people are hanging out, hanging out outside, waiting for their cars, and she's out with them, not not hiding like actors often do in mm-hmm. junkets, mm-hmm. right? She was out there, and it was a chance to sort of talk to her off the record, off the grid a little bit. And just so sweet and so gracious and so grateful to have a career. Mm-hmm. So aware of the fact that she was blessed, that yeah. she could earn a living doing this. That was like 30 years ago, man. Just, my, my, that, was, that was about 20 tw- some 25 years ago. I, but She uh, killed it in John Singleton's yeah. second movie, Poetic uh, Justice. Poetic Justice, yeah. Opposite Tupac Shakur. Yeah. Uh, playing Janet Jackson's little ghetto girlfriend. How long? And I'm watching that movie. I, I did that junk. Now I'm watching the movie, I'm, and I'm deep in that movie. And I suddenly realized, wait a minute, that's the kid from Two Two Seven. She played that little kid, sweet kid on Two Two Seven. She, she has, was I mean, amazing. It's it's in, it's and she's just always been the other person in the cast. Yeah. The second person, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. She's never, you know, this is her this is her moment. She yeah. finally gets. And by the way, in. look up her directing credits. She directs all oh, the know. time. Good, top end. I promise you. If, you, if you're watching high-end television, streaming or otherwise, you've been watching Regina King direct. She's yeah. really figured it out and couldn't be happier. And I think she's going to win that one, too. Where else? Where, so where? Uh, a few others. Let's see. Uh, directing uh, Spike Lee, Pavel Pavlikowski for Cold War, Yorgos for The Favorite, that lunatic who made mm. me finally <laughs> like one of his movies, yeah. Quaron and Adam McKay. Dude, Quaron's going to walk away with I that. Unless, so. Unless they are terrified of what Spike will say if they don't give it to him. <laughs> uh, the, the spike intimidation factor could, uh, could, could carry the way. But I think Quaron will end it. Because I don't... What can Spike say about Quaron? Well, They're the, friends. What's They're funny to me, What's funny to me is uh, uh, Ryan Coogler, again, not, yeah. not uh, 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 nominated. And had he been nominated, then I would have voted for Ryan over Spike. I wouldn't. Mm, that's also not nominated, uh, uh, Barry Jenkins yeah. uh, for Beale Street. But he's already, he already won a Best he Picture. He already won one, a Best yeah. Picture. But had he been nominated, I would have also voted I would for have him. So there are at least two black and one Mexican director that I would have <laughs> voted for. Because I actually would vote for, for, for so, uh, Caron. I would, I would give it to him. He, 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 he did the best directing job. Uh, putting that film together and making it as poetic as it actually is, as beautiful as it actually is, and still tough call it, for me. It, tell uh, that story. You know, I'm not a huge Roma fan, but I respect what he did in it. Uh, not a huge Yorgos fan, but he made me love that movie. Uh, but Pavel Pavlikowski oh, and Spike yeah. did yeah. really, really good work. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a tough call. Uh, I just wish I wish Bradley Cooper were there. He'd be my pick. In, in, He'd be my in, guy. There you go. That's why I think he might get that acting. Could, I think, I think they, you know. Although these are different, these are different branches of the academy that don't really have anything to do with each and other. And then uh, last couple here. So writing. Uh, let's go down to the uh, the uh, screenplay nominations mm-hmm. and adapted screenplay. Buster Scruggs for the Coen Brothers, Black Klansman. Can you ever forgive me? Beale Street and Star Is Born. Uh, Beale Street is just absolutely exquisite to my ear. Yeah. Um, uh, Preserves that novel in a beautiful way. Yeah, the, the, you can hear the Baldwin in it, uh, yeah. but it still, you know, it somehow still rings as contemporary. So that's where I would go. I think this is weird because there are two films here, Stars Born and Black Klansman, that are nominated for Best Picture. Mm. Uh, but I still feel like Can You Ever Forgive Me is going to win. And the reason being, I think people feel like they want to give Nicole Hall of Center an award. Mm. Uh, and it's good writing. It's really good writing. Because she has to write as good as Lee Israel yeah. uh, without the Lee Israel. And uh, original screenplay, the favorite, first reformed, Green Book, Roma, and Vice. 
And, um, I, and I think Black Klansman could win here. I think a spy, they could give it to Spike if they don't give him directing to mm. get him off their backs. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, uh, The Favorite, First Reformed, Green Book, Roma, and Vice. What wins original there? Uh, the Favorite. Yeah, it should. Yeah. But I'm afraid Green Book will. Oh, man. <laughs> I, well, I hope not. I mean, that would just be ludicrous. That, Peter Farrelly well, and Nick... It shouldn't even be nominated. Peter Farrelly and Nick Vallelonga walking up to pick up an Oscar would just kill me. Well, they got a little, um, they got a little baggage. Peter does, anyway. Yeah, that's true. Um, so. uh, but, uh, you know, Paul Schrader could win as well. Yeah, I, I, and, and First Reformed, also, to be honest with you, uh, Ethan Hawke ought to be nominated right yeah, now for should. that performance. He should. So, you know, anyway, yeah, more complaints tonight. Well, The Favorite, uh, you know, this is what would be really, really interesting if The Favorite and if Can You Ever Forgive Me both win, because those are the only two writing nominations for women, and they're both co-writing, but they are the two who wrote the original drafts of those two scripts. And Deborah Davis, yeah. who wrote the first draft of The Favorite, first-time screenwriter 20 years ago, mm-hmm. read books on how to write a screenplay because she just felt this story had to be told and it took 20 years to finally make it and there's a there's a wild and crazy 20 year success story you know, that's that's why you gotta hang in there man gotta hang in there man all right so with that let's let's uh we've, we've spent 25 did, minutes did, on... we, did we do best picture we did we did yeah okay, yeah. yeah i mean okay, uh, yeah okay. we it's I, I think green book's gonna take it but i i hope it doesn't mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to see stars born still get it I thought Starsborn would be the odds-on favorite, but you know it apparently hasn't been. So anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow through some PBS stuff real quick. Then we'll get to some new movies, and then we got a whole lot of classic what stuff. What's your to get favorite through. film of the year, though? That wasn't Starsborn. the favorite. The, the favorite. favorite was your favorite. Yeah, film of the year. yeah, the favorite. Look, if the favorite won, I'd lose my mind. But I, I look, I'm a realist. I know how to prognosticate these things. I don't see that anywhere on the charts. Yeah, it's, well, yeah. It's not the least hated film. Um, my wife was, you know, thought it was okay. I love it. Uh, you know, I love it too. But I it's love the very, it's, just, yeah. it's very divisive. Mm. And films that are divisive don't get enough number two and number three votes. Nah. They'll get a lot of ones and a lot of eights. And here, there we go with the math again. Right. The, the, yeah. The, 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 that, so, that, that process. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. So PBS. Let me just burn through this cool bunch of PBS stuff. We got one PBS Blu-ray from the Nature series uh, and BBC Earth Super Cats. Um, no reason really to call this super cats. All cats are super. Yeah. Uh, but this is uh, this is really fun. This is three episodes on uh, on cats, and I'm a cat person, not necessarily a dog person, but I'm married to a dog person. So you get to watch about two hours and forty minutes here of uh, of just a lot of cats, and I love cats: wild cats, house cats, big cats, small cats. They're all they're all kitties. They're all kitties, and they're all cute, and they're all adorable, and they do what they want. Uh, lynxes and jaguars and snow leopards and house cats and tabbies and everything else. It's just it's uh, it's really great, and it's great on Blu-ray. And uh, they they cover uh, they go to six hundred. Uh, they go over the course of six hundred days. They visit fourteen different countries and look at thirty-one different species of cats. And it is really really beautifully shot, and it's a lot of fun. Um, we have also got from PBS Breaking Big. Uh, this is an interesting thing. This is about people who are quote unquote influencers. And if you don't know what influencers are, right, these are they... well, typically influencers are people like uh, who have so many blue check. Well, they have a blue check on Twitter, so yeah. they start taking pictures of all the soft drinks that they drink, and they get a check. <laughs> they get a check for all the. I do not of people. understand how you don't have a blue check. I don't either. I haven't pursued it, uh, but uh, but what? But this is about uh, people who are more than just blue check influencers this is about people who actually have um who have risen to a significant level of success in the society and uh how they were able to break in and rise and so forth and you know you could you could pick any i mean you could shuffle this with 150,000 different people 
and uh, it would still be really interesting. You almost want them to make a series out of this, but mm. the ones they've chosen are very, very interesting. Uh, Trevor Noah, for example, mm. uh, uh, you know, um, Gretchen Carlson, former news anchor on Fox News and a former beauty queen, Lee Daniels, oh, yeah. Ac- you know, yeah, Academy yeah, Award winning writer, director, yeah. and, and TV producer, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand. Who just announced, you know, her presidential run, uh, senator from New York, um, Michael Strahan, football player turned yeah. TV personality, right? Yeah. So I mean, it's all these, all these, it's a really wide array of people, but they all have a really interesting story. Mm-hmm. They all have a story of what they did to get where they are and how they broke through certain barriers, and it's really, really interesting. So it's called Breaking Big. Uh, again, you could make this about any group of people, and it would be just as interesting. And it is, uh, it's hosted by uh, Carlos Watson. Uh, who's himself uh, a distinguished journalist? It sounds like a repeatable series to me. Should be. You should have one. You should have like three or four of those every year. Yeah. It should be like an American experience kind of a thing. Uh, secrets of Britain's great cathedrals. I don't know if there are secrets. It's not like you know we are we, here. We are at, uh, <laughs> and we've just discovered that there's an ancient scroll that reveals the secret oh. to time travel. We've just found it in the basement. Uh, there are no secrets. Uh, yeah. uh, it, it's it's just sort of statistics and honoring them and looking at them. And they go to twenty different cathedrals and abbeys, and it is beautifully shot. I wish it were on Blu-ray, but it's not. It's on DVD, but they shot it in 4K, so it's uh, it's very nice looking. But it's it, you know if you like cathedrals, you'll love it. If you hate them, you'll have absolutely no attraction to it. Uh, Poetry in America season one, uh, wonderful. I'm glad they're doing this. The poet American poetry is such a distinguished and vast and and fascinating field because it's sort of um, our history through poetry. You mm. go to other countries, France, uh, you know, Germany, England. And poetry doesn't really sort of define the history. There's a style. There's a national style of poetry. But mm-hmm. um, our poetry changes every 10, 15 years. Yeah. And uh, it's really, really interesting. Uh, they have a... So anyway, the episodes here focus very specifically on individual poems. Uh, everything from I Cannot Dance Upon My Toes by Emily Dickinson to The New Colossus by Emma Lazarus, which is on the uh, Statue of Liberty. To uh, Harlem by Langston Hughes. Ah. To uh, Him and Hum Bomb by Allen Ginsberg, which is like pulling teeth with me. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm more of a Hal kind of guy. Yeah. You, don't, you, you uh, don't care for those. Skyscraper by Carl Sandburg. Uh, Musée de Beaux-Arts by W.H. Auden, uh, an amazing poet. Uh, New York State of Mind by Naz. You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's everything from the last 200 years. It's really, really interesting. Uh, Then we've got The Circus, Big Tent, Big Dreams. This is an American Experience documentary. It is formidable. Uh, It is four hours, and it gives you the complete history of The Circus. And it is so so much more interesting than you would think. Um, The socio-political role of The Circus... Uh, especially here in you know the the 19th century version of it in the United States is so extraordinary. Um, it re- it's really just it's dazzling uh, and how it sort of plugs into the culture and how it evolves with the culture. Uh, this is four riveting hours that you are just not going to believe. Uh, it goes into personalities you've never heard of, not just you know P.T. Barnum and Ring Brothers mm. and Bailey, the ones whose names we're familiar with. There are, there are people you never heard of, you had no idea, who are central to the circus becoming a thing. Mm. Milestones of a Spiritual Life, Sacred. Uh, this, is, uh, this is really quite interesting. This is a primarily a production of WNET in New York. And as you know, a lot of different networks in, in the PBS, uh, under the PBS umbrella tend to do their own productions. 
And um, this takes a look at uh, the what is sacred in the world in different cultures and different places and tries to sort of get inside why there is so much. If everybody wants peace and wants holiness, why is everybody always fighting over it? Mm. Uh, why is there so much uh, sectarian bloodshed? And uh, it is, uh, it's directed by Academy Award winning um, cinema, uh, uh, documentarian Thomas Lennon and it's very 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 good it's only 90 minutes long could probably be longer but um, it's it's very impressively made and it doesn't really give you any conclusions it doesn't mm -hmm. sort of say this is what we can do yay we've solved the world's problems but it is it's provocative uh, Frontline always impressive did uh, the Facebook dilemma and this will continue to be timely because Facebook's dilemma is far from over uh, as we all know, Facebook continues to face all kinds of problems in mm. terms of, you know, are they infiltrated? Do they, are, are they being, allowing themselves to be used as some kind of manipulation by foreign powers? Do they censor speech? Do they favor some over others? Mm. Uh, or do they t improperly take your, your privacy and target you? And sell it. And sell it. Uh, if you're going to do that, you owe me a check. Yeah. Let me just tell you, you owe me a check. Uh, yeah, all these questions, and we all use the damn thing, um, but it's, it, you know, it has, it is definitely in a crisis place, and it's in a lot of people's crosshairs, especially politicians. So mm -hmm. uh, they did a really great job at Frontline of just kind of exploring all of that. And again, that is a far from over situation. No, pars no passport required with Marcus Samuelson, exploring America through the culture of food. That is a dangerous thing to do. Uh, because there is so much bad food in America. There's a lot of wonderful food. A lot of most of American food has some kind of cultural roots from somewhere else. You know, Europe and South America and the Caribbean and Polynesia and everybody kind of brought their cuisines here, and it all gets mixed up. And that's how you wind up with pineapple on pizza and gumbo and you know, uh, like uh, like uh, I, I don't know. Uh, Halal spaghetti and and you know herring herring in your in Korean, your calzone Korean, and who knows what yeah Korean Tex Mex yeah it's it's all it's all terrifying but uh, some of it's really really good uh, so this is this is interesting Marcus Samuelson does a wonderful job taking you on your your journey through uh, you know all the different cuisines and most of it is in New York where every three blocks you've got a different ethnic neighborhood and a different ethnic cuisine and it's amazing. Uh, and you know what? All the best Turkish restaurants are in New York, and I'm really depressed because mm. I love Turkish food. Whenever I go to Manhattan, that's the first thing I do is mm. I run to a Turkish restaurant because it's so good. There are none here, none. Not a single Turkish restaurant anywhere in L.A. It's impossible to find. Mm. So, so upsetting. But we eat Lebanese often enough that when people ask my daughter what her favorite food is and they're expecting to hear something like, uh, you know, uh, chicken strips or mm. mac and cheese or pizza, she will always say, Lebanese. <laughs> Lebanese. Lebanese. And people look at her like, what kind of a... Ch who are you people? You're weird. Uh, the Pension Gamble, another frontline uh, documentary, is really, really good. And uh, the issue here is one that we're probably all aware of, which is that states have uh, given their employees especially teachers all kinds of pension guarantees that they now can't fulfill 
So yeah. they don't know. They all really were very overly optimistic in the good times and said, mm. oh, yeah, sure, we can give you, you know, $270,000 a year when you turn 65. And now suddenly the states are going bankrupt and they yeah. got no money for the pensions. Uh, and all these workers are thinking, but you promised. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. promised. I'm going to hold you to it. I don't care what you got to do. You, you owe me a pension. You're going to have to sell stuff. It's a problem. Uh, so anyway, it does get into some of the solutions. I'm not sure any of them are really uh, that helpful. Native America, First Peoples, Ancient Civilizations, Enduring Cultures. Uh, this is nice. I've seen, it's not brilliant. Uh, it's, it's four episodes uh, that specifically get into fact and fiction and, and myth and reality about uh, Native American tribes and, and history. And uh, it's, you know, warts and all. And there's a lot of stuff here that's, uh, that's pretty ugly and a lot of stuff that's uh, a little bit embellished and, and whatnot. I don't think I think there are better documentaries on the subject of the Native American experience in history, but this is not bad. Ancient Invisible Cities, Athens, Cairo, and Istanbul, collaboration with the fabulous BBC, and uh, I just love archaeology and architecture, and uh, this is right right down the middle of that. Uh, this is a journey with archaeologist Darius Arya. And he just goes to these three amazing cities and uh, takes you on a tour of extremely new technology 3D scans so that you can see what the cities used to be, uh, sort of recreates the past in a really, really fascinating way. And uh, it's great. The, the 3D imaging here is just it's terrific. It's really, really fascinating. So this is high tech and uh, old world meeting in a really cool way. Uh, three more here from uh, PBS, Shakespeare Uncovered, Series 3. This is a great series. And all this does is just gets behind. These are the backstories of Shakespearean plays. Uh, there are six films here. Much Ado About Nothing, Merchant of Venice, Measure for Measure, Julius Caesar, Richard III, and The Winter's Tale. And uh, the, you just have these. Every one of these has a different host, like Helen Hunt, for example, hosts Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, Brian Cox hosts Julius Caesar. Um, Murray F. Murray Abraham host The Merchant of Venice and uh, you you are basically given a, a a very tender college level lecture on why these are important and you don't even know that you're being taught Trump's showdown another one from Frontline people are probably thinking which one uh, and uh, this is this has nothing to do with the shutdown which was happened all after this was made. Mm. Uh, no, this is this is all about uh, Robert Mueller and Russia and so forth. And of course, that is far from over. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is sort of a um, uh, this is a lead-in so doc. Like, uh, everything up to the up to date. Up to now, yeah, up to date. So it'll it'll obviously have a sequel at some point. I don't know why they <laughs> I, I don't know why they made it to be honest. No, just wait till the story yeah, story's over. Frontline, I guess, had a had a <sighs> few spare weeks to do something. And then the last one here is the woman in the iron coffin, uh, the life of a free black woman in 19th century New York. Wow. Uh, this is part of the Secrets of the Dead series. And uh, this is really, really interesting because it goes back to 2001 when there were some construction workers in New York who discovered uh, in this, this lot in Queens, they discovered a woman's remains and had no idea who she was. And, and they thought that this was just like somebody that had recently been killed and calling the cops and the whole thing. And uh, after they analyzed that, and you, re you remember this, right? Like yeah. this was in a basement and everybody yeah. thought, oh my gosh, the people who lived in this house, they killed somebody and it was a whole, it was a whole to do. And then they looked at it and they found out that this woman 
had died like 80 years earlier. Yeah. Like, this had nothing, this was not a murder. There's a, there's a whole story that goes to this. And so Secrets of the Dead uh, goes into the, the secrets of the woman in the iron coffin. And there are more secrets here than there are with the cathedrals, believe me. It's really, really, really interesting. And um, uh, it, it opens up a whole window on th- something we don't often talk about, which is that and, and 12 Years a Slave got into this a little bit, but mm. we don't often talk about the fact, you know, we, th- we think of that first, those first two thirds, uh, or the, you know, the, like all the first, almost half of uh, the, the first American century, 70 mm-hmm. some years, 80 some years uh, after the, uh, the Declaration of Independence, the, you know, that's the era of slavery. And we forget half the country had mm-hmm. free blacks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were free in yeah. half the country. Yeah, that's why they called it the, Ma- the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah. And, and you wanted to be north of it. But, but no one ever talks about what their yeah. lives were like. Mm-hmm. You know? it, it, which, which, of course, um, we, we, were, we were talking to someone the other day and they were talking about the uh, yeah, Harvard University. Yeah. And, uh, and they mentioned some black... Uh, was it W.B. Du Bois? I don't know. It, was, it predated Du Bois. Yeah. But they said, oh, he went to Harvard? He, 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 no, how, that's, that's, that's... There that's were the, always black students at Harvard. That's, see, that's... The, and that's a funny thing too and I'll, and I'll and and you tell me if you ever get any of this but uh i remember once when i was a kid you know my father came from kentucky and uh i remember my father talking to i guess we were at, were we at a hardware store or something anyway my father grew up basically in the in reconstruction the the late reconstruction south mm-hmm. knew a lot of freed slaves mm-hmm. and uh we were talking to a black guy at like a like a hardware store this is maybe early 1970s and um and and it was you know, I'd always heard my father's stories of the South mm-hmm. and, you know, slavery and freed slaves and so forth. And this guy said, he goes, you know, the most vexing thing is when people meet you and and they they automatically assume that because you're black and American... You have some that, lineage to the that South. you have some lineage to slavery. Mm-hmm. He said, my great-grandfather was a professional wrestler in New England... In like 1850 yeah. or whatever it was, <laughs> he was a professional wrestler yeah. and did very, very well at it. And you know, and 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 you know, he, he came to the United States voluntarily. He came, I think, he like came from the Caribbean. You know, mm-hmm. there's a whole thing. And, you, and he and he says, and people just automatically meet you and they assume, oh, your grandfather was a slave, your great grandfather was a slave. I'm so sorry, you know. And it's like, no, stop it. Some of us are descended from uh, free people. Dude, one of the, one of the first theaters. Established in the United States of America, actual theaters yeah. meant for the for the uh, yeah. yeah. Eighteen seventeen. Yeah. Black dude. Yeah. He, he had he had been um, uh, 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 on on a ship, you know, uh, it's a, a stevedore. He had yeah. been a stevedore on a ship. You know, you had finished up that, bought a house in Lower Manhattan, yeah. and started putting on Shakespearean plays. It's fascinating. So you know, you, so these things, these things, we think that's what's great about this. Is that it? It, yeah. uh, it? it gets into a lot of that. The woman in the iron coffin uh, episode, installment of Secrets of the Dead from PBS, really fascinating. Yeah. Well, somebody right. made somebody new made movies. And I got a few uh, new movies. I got Slice in my hand. Chance the rapper in Zazzy Beats in this perfectly goofy, terrible, terrible movie. Right. In <laughs> um, uh, Zazzy, I adore her. Of course, we yeah. know her from Deadpool two and from Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and and Chance the rapper has been on a whole bunch of raps, records, yeah. with uh, Donnell Glover. Yeah. Uh, and the guy who directed this movie, a guy named Austin Veasley, yeah. uh, Austin uh, has directed both a lot of Chance the Rapper videos and a lot of Donnell Glover or yeah, Chalice yeah. Gambino mm-hmm. videos. 
ball that all up together and you get yourself a big old stank ass movie uh, uh, starring all of these people in, 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 in a movie that makes no sense it's about some town someplace uh, where there, where ghosts are ordinary and just sort of, sort of still walking yeah. around and doing stuff uh, and, uh, and somebody is murdering people and they're turning back up as ghosts but nobody can figure out who's killing them and uh, anyway Zazie is fantastic I adore her I'll watch her do anything anywhere even in a dumbass Austin Veasley movie Okay, Austin. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna spare you this next one. Bench Warmers Two: Breaking Balls uh, with Chris Klein and John Lovitz. That's all you need to know. Yeah. They made another Bench Warmers movie, and uh, it's got John Lovitz in it. And that's the only thing that's good about it is yeah. John Lovitz. Uh-huh. Uh, interesting. Um, a second a film after his first film, Luca, uh, 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 um, who who made the beautiful uh, movie last year. Yes. Uh, uh, this this year, a remake of Suspiria, of uh, Dario Argento's uh, Suspiria, rewrote it. So with, with an extra it. hour. Yeah, an extra hour. Suspiria is about 90 minutes long. This yeah. thing's two and a half hours. Dakota Johnson, Tilda Swinton. Uh, the, 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 the wonderful thing in the movie is Dakota Johnson. The movie, I don't need this movie, but then again, I'm not a Giallo guy. Yes. I didn't like this in 1972 when he did it the first time. We saw this together, and, and I had the same reaction. I thought, you know, this is just really overrun tribute to a movie that I didn't like the first time and I don't particularly like it the second time however people who love the original mm, really love this really love this movie and and and, so. and some folks were making uh, allusions between this and the me too movement this, yeah. a coven of witches uh, yeah. masquerading as a dance troupe uh, in, in, involved in a battle to, to see who will be the next yeah. master of the Coven of Witches, and and uh, when um, uh, when they dance, this is one of their ways of invoking powers. This particular character, anyway, there's yeah. this gruesome, gruesome scene in it. Uh, and I got to tell you, um, um, uh, after that scene, I was done with the movie. Yeah, I agree. Uh, didn't see it anymore. Special features to making of Suspiria, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, but you know, if it's in your if it's in your wheelhouse. Uh, in your wheelhouse, yeah. we thought we were going to be talking about Boy Erased in, uh, here nope. at this Academy Awards season. But as you say, but here, yeah, this is a movie with um, Lucas Hedges, who was nominated for an Academy Award yeah. just uh, what was it, a year or two ago. Yep, Manchester by the Sea performance. Yeah. Uh, Nicole Kidman, Russell Crowe, a couple of heavy hitters. Yeah, as far as that goes, uh, this. I think Nicole's people might have told her, you're probably going to get two nominations yeah. for this and Destroy It. Yeah, she got neither, none. Neither. Uh, this, is a perfectly, this is a perfectly decent movie written and directed by Joel Edgerton, the Joel Edgerton, the acting yeah. Joel Edgerton that you all yeah. know. Uh, lo- loosely based on a true story of a young man, uh, who, and he's who's, in it too. And he's in it. Yeah, he's yeah. playing. Uh, who's who's, who's uh, sent to de degaitization camp, whatever yeah. they call it. Yeah. Uh, Russell Crowe, his pastor, father, all of that. Loosely, loosely based on a true story. Fairly decent movie, movie, but it did not. It didn't it, penetrate the it, zeitgeist. It wears its emotions and its intentions a little too bravely on its sleeve, which I would. Have, which you know, again, I normally think that of that as a liability, but mm-hmm. then again. So does Green Book. Yeah, yeah, but, got, but you know, a bunch of nominations. You know? So, uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, uh, Blood Brothers. Uh, this is a fairly decent little action movie. Uh, most interesting thing in it is, is, is a hip-hop cat named Fetty Wap is in the cast. Yeah. So if you listen to a lot of uh, Fetty Wap hip-hop, you're going to kind of dig this. Uh, other than that, it's just a little hood gangster movie uh, of no particular import. I'll throw out Goosebumps too. I'm not a huge fan of the whole Goosebumps phenomenon, but a lot of kids are. Uh, mm. This has a I, this thing just came and went. Uh, you get this also on Movies Anywhere. There's a little Movies Anywhere code on here, which is, I kind of like that first one. I'll just go ahead and admit that I did. You know what? I mean, it's fine for kids. Kids will enjoy this. It's got the you know the effects and the monsters and the scares, but it's they, not they, too they, scary. They, they based that one all around Halloween. So, yeah. so and the thing that was irritating about it. 
realized that none of the actual creatures from Goosebumps, you know, the yeah. Goosebumps series, yeah. Yeah. show up in that movie. No, none. And then Jack Black shows up in the last three minutes, casts some kind of a stupid spell, the movie's over. Yeah, it's it's kind of silly. But, uh, you know, uh, there are some laughs in here. There are a few things that are fun. Uh, Ken Jeong shows up in here, and he's yeah. always good for a yuck or two. So yeah. there it is. Dr. Ken Jeong. Um, and we, uh, by the way, we didn't say too much that Crazy Rich Asians got completely shut out of the Oscars, we, which we is very about upsetting. And you had a, an interesting theory about it, and actually I, I, I have to agree we'll, with you. We'll, we'll cover more on that in, in the future. In, in, in the yeah, on a future weeks. show, we'll uh, get into that. The, the Nutcracker and then the Four Realms, a sort of nut. Cracker sweet movie that it is just bomb. Really, just terrible. Lassa yeah. Hallstrom and Joe Johnson co-directing. Yeah, I'm figuring. Lassa, it, well, Lassa Hallstrom had uh, a medical procedure yeah. at some point and couldn't come back to finish the film, as I understand it. So they went and got Joe Johnston to handle well, how it. Do you, how, do you, how do you get from... Uh, there was a lot of special effects. That's kinda... what it was. And they wanted somebody who was effect savvy, which uh, Lassie isn't. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it didn't save the movie. No. Uh, uh, at all. My daughter enjoyed it, but I don't know that she wants really? to see it again. Really? Yeah. To me, even in that context, I thought it would have been too scary. It, you know, we thought that too with with the with the giant the, 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 the big rat creature and thing and yeah, the tree. Yeah, okay. we did, and and she, no, she was all, she was fine with it. And mm. we and truly, my wife had her hand ready to like cover her eyes mm-hmm. at the scary part. You know, just like it, it reflexes at the ready, <laughs> and she did it. And then you know, here pushes her hand away. She's like, no, I'm good. Yeah, I'm like all right, yeah, there we go. Um, tough little girls. Uh, yeah. you, you just never know. Anyway, not not particularly fancy. A few special features, of course, on that. Uh, the wife. Now, interestingly, Glenn, Glenn Close, Close Oscar nominated for this. Uh, won a Golden Globe, I believe. Yeah, uh, an Oscar nominated. I gotta tell you, I just I don't see it. And she tied for the Critics' Choice Award too. She did. She did. I don't so, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a generational thing. Uh, Glenn Close, Jonathan Price, uh, Christian Slater. She plays the rice, the wife of a guy who gets nominated. Uh, for what is it, a Nobel Prize or something? Yeah. Uh, and he's like this real, you know, uh, uh, piece. He's a real piece, and, and this just makes him all the much worse. And it's all about her, the long-suffering wife and how she eventually yeah. pivots all of that around. And it, it says right on the box here, though, Pete Hammond, our Pete Hammond, or, you know, yeah. uh, Glenn Close delivers an Oscar-worthy performance. Well, Glenn, Pete, occasionally Pete? Get, he occasionally gets it right. You well, know, Pete. Uh, not to... The, the, uh, well, well, here's a little spoiler. So again, turn the show off for like five or six seconds if, if you don't want the spoiler. Um, so the whole deal is that basically she is responsible for his his success. She's mm-hmm. the real she's the real writer. Now there have been a few movies with that that theme centered uh, around some actual Colette. Colette Colette very much, which also came out this year, centered around that theme. Uh, and you know there are a number of real life situations where uh, what, what was the Tim oh, Burton the, the, the Tim Burton film yeah, with about the, the artist the yeah painter. the artist yeah, yeah. right uh, uh, sad eyes yeah, or big, big, eyes, eyes, big eyes big eyes big eyes Amy Adams so so you know this theme has showed up a few times it is it's always timely it's always interesting i just don't think this one is all that interesting yeah you know for one thing it's got, it's mostly kind of made up yeah. uh let the corpses in um is a heist movie yeah a, 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 a team of guys go out and steal some gold they have this gold they have to hide it yeah. in, their, in their place and other people come looking for it. uh look uh action uh, yeah all kinds of stuff neat neat movie in, in that con- context french film uh bonus features include audio commentary uh, with film critic Alexandria Heller Nicholas. Nice. Good stuff. Good. Uh, do you know this film? I didn't see this one. Oh, uh, yeah, Henri. yeah, yeah, yeah. Henri. Uh, yeah, for the sake of love and justice. Uh, this is just a, this is just a kind of a junky, um, 
like a junky kind of straight to the video thing, but it is uh, it's significant because it was something that Burt Reynolds did before he passed. Ah. So somebody dug this out and uh, and said, let's all let's get this out. Monarch has released it. Um, I think they needed to release it as a tribute to, to Bert. It's not significant. He's not significant in it. It's also got, you know, Eric Roberts, which is a clear giveaway that this thing is just, you know, thrown together. Robert Lasardo who mm. gets his name above the title for the first time in 30 years. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's, uh, it, it, there's nothing terribly significant about this. Um, it's, you know, it's, a, it's like a small town sheriff and family dispute thing and it's you know man vigilante justice it's not it's not terribly it's not terribly interesting um but it's nice to see burt reynolds always now that he's gone from burt okay, something to do. are we pressing forward are you gonna knock something out yeah later? let's uh, let's let's go forward on to classic movies here in the uh <coughs> excuse me a little time that we have left um twilight time Got got four this month from Twilight Time. They are all really interesting. Twilight Time still really picks interesting stuff. And you've got to go to screenarchives.com or twilighttimemovies.com to get these. That's where you get these new, only at those two sites. Richard Greer and Vanessa Redgrave made a movie called Yanks once upon a time in the late 70s when Richard Gere was young and just kind of getting getting started. Um, just and, after being that uh, Calvin Klein model. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think the posters were still, the billboards were still up. And, and, and Malik, you know, Malik turned him into, into a bit of a, 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 a mythic figure as yeah. well. So uh, you've got a very, very young Richard Gere and a, a not so young Vanessa Redgrave, but they are very, very good in uh, Yanks, which was directed by John Schlesinger, who had won uh, Best Picture and Best Director just a, a decade earlier for Midnight Cowboy. And uh, this all takes place uh, in um, the north of England during World War II. And uh, it's effectively a, a pre-D-Day sociological study of what happens when American troops arrive in England on the eve of D-Day and how that, what, what transpires. And, you know, you're, I mean, obviously some of these guys aren't going to come back. And, uh, you know, what's, is there a future? You know, and there's some romance and whatnot. So... It's uh, it, it's got a, a lot of really interesting stuff that uh, endures. A wonderful, wonderful score by Richard Rodney Bennett, which you can listen to as an isolated uh, track on this. Uh, also, an audio commentary with uh, actor Chick Venera and uh, film historians Julie Cargo and Nick Redman, who is one of the principals in Twilight Time. Um, but I do think, in some ways, the film is a little tiny bit dated. Uh, William Devane is in this as well. He's very, very, very good. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's still good, but it's not as good as it was at the time. Mm. Untamed from, uh, 1955, pretty decent Western, Richard Egan, good, solid guy, Susan Hayward, Tyrone Power, uh, Agnes Moorhead. It's a good, good cast. Yeah. It's an aging Tyrone Power, I should point out at this point. You, he doesn't quite have, uh, what he used to have. And Susan Hayward is wonderful. She, she never ages. Uh, directed by Henry King, good, good, uh, good, you know, workmanlike uh, movie all around. The only thing that makes this significant is it's a western set in South Africa. Mm. So in every other way, it's a classic American western, but because it's it takes place in South Africa, and instead of Indians, you got Zulu warriors. <laughs> it's supposed to be a little bit unique, but the bottom line is it's still a western. Yeah, still basically that movie. Uh, the Return of Frank James is not bad, actually. Uh, a lot of Jesse James movies made, including one starring Tyrone Power. 
but this one stars Henry Fonda, and it's focusing on Frank James, and it takes a slightly different angle on the uh, the Jesse James and uh, and younger gang. And uh, John Carradine is in this, has a really, really nice turn. Gene Tierney is, is fetching as can be. And the thing that is most interesting about this is that it was uh, directed by Fritz Lang, who was pulled over by Daryl Zanuck at one point in, uh, in the 1940s. And uh, this is 1940. And it's the first Western that Fritz Lang uh, ever made. And it's also the first film he ever did in color. And uh, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a number. So it's, uh, it's worth checking out. It's a really, really interesting movie. And then the last one here from Twilight Time is Beat the Devil, which has been a, uh, one of those public domain things forever. Crappy versions of this have shown up on all kinds of uh, really bad DVDs for 20 years. Uh, this is a John Huston film from 1953. This looks gorgeous. Mm. This is the only version to get. It's on Blu-ray. It is beautiful. Uh, they've done a real number with this. There's an audio commentary with uh, Lem Dobbs, Julie Kirgo, and Nick Redman. Lem Dobbs. Love Lem Dobbs. Love Lem. Great screenwriter. And then uh, the original trailer and a thing, Alexander Cockburn beat the devil. Um, it's, it, this is a good movie. Uh, and it's even better when you see it presented the way that it's supposed to be presented. Jennifer Jones, Jean and Lola Bridget, Humphrey Bogart. Uh, Peter Laurie, I mean, come on, that's it's just it's absolutely brilliant, and uh, it is it is effectively one of the earliest kind of caper comedies. One of the, the early, it's I don't want to call it a spoof, mm. but it kind of does sort of spoof the, the the World War II spy genre. So it's not spoof; it's too early to spoof James Bond because we don't have James Bond movies yet. But you know, World War II spy movies were a real big thing in the '40s, and this sort of. In 1953, we're able to breathe a little bit and just yeah. say, "Okay, let's kind of take the air out of this thing." You know, yeah. all the all the all the U-boats and Nazis and everything else. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. And Gina Lola Bridget in every age, she was amazing. <laughs> oh, Gina Lola! Whoa! Do some of these. Uh, yeah, let's do some shout stuff. Some shout stuff. Screamers. I have to tell you, I rather enjoyed Screamers uh, uh, from 1995. Uh, this would have been after Peter Weller had been RoboCop already. Yeah, uh, and uh, it was uh, yeah, and, and after after his Buckaroo Banzai period yeah. too. If, if you come to yeah. think of it, this is directed by uh, Christian uh, Duguay, who also directed The Art of War, starring Wesley Snipes. If oh, I'm not mistaken. no kidding! This is just one of those movies that was uh, late on the heels of the big sort of space uh, opery type movie, space. Uh, 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 science fiction type movies 2078 uh, these two organizations are at war uh, one company has created these man-made things called screamers they're under the, the sand oh yeah I remember and they, this they movie. come swimming and they just and they, and the, the thing about a screamer it comes screaming at you it whacks you all up to pieces then it cleans up its own mess that, this, that's that's the idea of what the this screamer came, does. This came after Tremors, didn't it? After Tremors. Yeah. yeah with, with the big worm and all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, anyway, uh, interview with the director and a couple other people. This was a fun movie. Uh, uh, Peter Weller made a few of those uh, before he started doing all kinds of serious stuff. Screamers. Uh, right there. Plague of the, the Zombies, 1966, which is just a straight-ahead zombie movie. Um, uh, a little, little village in Cornwall. Uh, people seem to be falling ill all over the place, and then they they they, they start coming back. Uh, and the professor figures out there must be some voodoo and some voodoo involved. Set in the late 1860s, perfectly decent uh, little sort of British zombie movie. All kinds of special features on it, which is a lot of fun. Uh, audio commentaries with the filmmakers and uh, and uh, film historian Steve Harbourman and whatnot. Neat neat stuff there. Plague of the Zombies. 
When Harry met Sally. Ah, uh, fine. You know what? This is thirtieth anniversary edition. This this came out in a really crappy straight to Blu-ray edition, like I don't know, two two three years ago. And I remember I tried to get it for us at the time, and they just said, "Why?" <laughs> because it's a classic. Yeah, yeah. Like, you hasn't know? everybody seen it? I, I, it's, I just hate it when the studios have no value for their own libraries. And and, and shout, thus, shout, shout is a shout select title. Yeah. And they figured out what to do. New, uh, 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 a, a new interview with, with uh, Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal. Uh, 4K scan of the original Camber Neck. The audio commentary with Rob and Nora Ephron. We lost Nora uh, not too long ago, if I'm not mistaken, and Billy and Billy Crystal. Um, well, we more still have Nancy com- Myers, yeah, yeah, who's more- kind of like a, she's kind of like Nora, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of you know kind of the vintage featurettes, deleted scenes. Uh, look, um, uh, this is a classic film uh, that has it sort of got made and came out and became a classic within our lifetimes. Yeah, uh, and it's a wonderful movie. I Billy love Crystal it. and, and Meg Ryan you know, meet in college at the end of college and drive across country. And, and go on this long, 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 long relationship before they finally realize that they were meant for each other. I actually once um, did the uh, the uh, uh, cherry pit thing in someone's car. They, <laughs> di- they didn't get it. You know, you just spit it against the window. I'll roll down the window. <laughs> didn't get it. They thought I was an idiot. I was like, don't you know that's a... That's a, a I, I, just, I, just, I just like spit a thing on your window to make a joke, and you didn't appreciate it because you haven't seen the movie. What's yeah, wrong with you? Pathetic people. It's ridiculous. Um, anyway, wonderful movie. Uh, I can watch this movie forever. One of me and my wife's favorite movies. Yeah. 30th anniversary edition when Harry met Sally. Uh, I remember doing the junket for the original Urban Legends film. Oh, my film. gosh. Uh, here's the collector's edition, two-disc set. Um, uh, you know, like, what, what, I think because I'm not mistaken, I think this film might have preceded the, um, or it might have been after the Scream films. So you know, one of the, one of the early films that were all kind of meta about what was going on in the horror film. Today we have the um, uh, Happy Death Day to You films, right? Uh, which are you know, just another another leg of the same sort of genre. Anyway, are the urban legends coming true? A couple of years later, they knocked off Urban Legends Final Cut. Uh, you know, even in a, 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 a young and still kind of chubby Anthony Anderson uh, in that movie. Um, you know, lots of special effects here, uh, making up featurettes, interviews with the actors. Look, if you're into the urban legend films, you might as well give them both Urban Legends and Urban Legends Final Cut. The first one, by the way, 1998. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I also did the junket, believe it or not, for Sleepwalkers 1992. I did the junket for just about every Stephen King adaptation, which is kind of nutty. Sleepwalkers. That was uh, a nutty movie. That was a nutty movie from a nutty book uh, about these people who were like a part human, part uh, cat, uh, or or, or (laughs) tigers. They would transform at at night. It It was so crazy. Uh, Mick Garris film. Yeah, you know, you yeah. know a lot of those films. Oh, that's right. What happened to him? Not good question. What the hell did happen to Mick? Know. Back in the day, he was he was banging he around. A, he knocked a lot of them out. 1992. Matchin uh, Amick was in this film. Oh, um, yeah. Before uh, Twin Peaks. When she, back when she was still selling uh, Noxzema. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he knocked out. Yeah. He, did, uh, he, did, he did a couple of Critters movies, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let me hit it. Let me knock out a couple of several, a few Severin titles here. We've got, you know, Severin does a lot of great exploitation stuff, and uh, they've got a really great bunch this time. Uh, so, All the Colors of the Dark is this weird kind of uh, very disturbing quasi Euro shock giallo movie from 1972, directed by Sergio Martino. Mm-hmm. Uh, All the Colors of the Dark. Uh, it's basically, you know, a, a, a haunted, terrorized woman movie uh, with uh, Edwi- Edwidge Fennec, 
who previously starred in Strip Nude for Your Killer, which I haven't seen. I have no imagine, idea. But uh, I'd assume that her performance is roughly the same. Uh, she just screams a lot, and she's and that's kind of it. Uh, but anyway, the, uh, the uh, reason to see this is because it has a really great score. Uh, the, score is, the score is creepier than the movie. The score is written by a composer named Bruno Nicolai, some mm. Italian guy I never heard of. But um, they, they completely restored this thing. There's an audio commentary on it with Kat Ellinger, who wrote the uh, Sergio Martino book, literally. Uh, interviews galore with everybody, including Sergio Martino. And then there is also All the Colors of Giallo, which is not a, an actual standalone movie. This is uh, a, a, effectively a compilation of trailers. There's a documentary on... There are three discs, three Blu-ray discs. The first one is a feature-length feature documentary by uh, Federico Cadeo. Uh, about Giallo, and then there are just hundreds of, of, of trailers, more than you can count. And they get kind of... It, it gets a little bit tedious at a certain point, but uh, it, it's it's still a lot of fun, and it's very, very funny. Uh, and the... Uh, anyway, that that's most of that is on disc two, and then the third disc is a, a CD with all this wild music on it. Um, we've also got Mondo Freudo and Mondo Bizarro, now, if you don't know anything about the Mondo films, you need to. The Mondo films are kind of like the exploitation version of um, the Cinerama movies. They are travel logs of the weirdest stuff that they can possibly find. And uh, Lee Frost and Bob Cressy, who were a one of these early exploitation teams, kind of like Sam Arkoff mm-hmm. and 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 and, uh, and Arkoff and Nicholson and uh, a bunch of these others, they were they were all teams. Um, the uh, Lee Frost and Bob Cressy were one of the sort of the more careless and uh, and skeezy of these teams, and uh, they're the ones that put together the Mondo genre the first time around. And it's you know like uh, Faces of Death is a Mondo mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. that more recent generations are probably a little bit familiar with. So anyway, uh, Mondo Freudo is just all about you know it's everything from stripping to drugs to you know, weird sadomasochistic stuff and, uh, you know, uh, the homosexuality plays a big part in this because that was considered <gasps> shocking at the time. And, uh, yeah, a lot of it is a little bit staged. Uh, like, there's a there's a, there's a there's an Arab sex slave auction that was clearly staged somewhere here in L.A. And, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, it's really lame. But anyway, it's it's good trash, you know? It's good retro trash and people will enjoy it. If you enjoy trash, that is. Uh, Skinner, another Severn Blu-ray title. This is from 1993, sort of a later exploitation thing, but it's uh, it, it's a little bit like what Tim was just talking about with Screamers. It's a little it's kind of in that same general vein. Uh, and the only reason that it's really worth watching is because it has a performance by Ted Raimi, the brother of Sam Raimi, who yeah. rarely shows up in anything anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's but, around Hercules a lot. But yeah, really. but uh, Ted Raimi is in this. And uh, he plays a he plays the uh, the title character Dennis Skinner, who is basically the same thing as Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs, except mm. uh, Silence of the Lambs around about this same time. Um, I think the year before Silence of the Lambs was what ninety one. Yeah. So it's two years earlier. One Best Picture. Ted Raimi didn't win. Uh, didn't win anything for this. Uh, but he, he that's what he does. He makes flesh suits. So and what a tailor he is. Uh, and then we call it the last two here. Um, Jack the Ripper. Oh, my goodness. Jack the Ripper. 
uh, has nothing to do with history whatsoever. This is uh, two different versions of the of this movie, the UK and the US versions. This was made in 1959. It is all. It is not even an hour and a half long. It's like about 80 minutes long. And uh, this is a really, really bad movie produced by Joseph E. Levine, who was one of those schlockmeisters at the time. And uh, But somehow it it just it has endured for all kinds of bizarre, unusual reasons. And it's gory and it's shocking. It's not very good. It's got a lot of extra stuff in it, commentary material and uh, alternate takes and uh, interviews. And uh, why this movie survives is a bit of a mystery, but they do kind of get to the bottom of it. And then Echo and the Forbidden. Uh, The tagline is great. An incredible orgy of sights and sounds. Uh, This is also a Bob Cressy and Lee Frost exploitation uh, title. And it's a it's a, effectively a Mondo film, but it's one of the lesser Mondo films. Uh, it's just all kind of uh, S&M stuff and piercing and, uh, you know, it's, it's nasty stuff. It's kind of gross. And uh, watch this one, not if you like Mondo films, but only if you, you're a little bit uh, sadistic. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's nasty. And it was t- it's, it's l- it, Echo is, uh, these are two different films separately. Uh, Echo is 99 Minutes uh, Forbidden. is just kind of like outtakes from Echo that they try to turn into another movie for the most part. Um, and uh, there you go. It's Echo and the Forbidden. Mm. Uh, interesting stuff. Uh, let's see. Let's go over here and knock out a few of these. Brian De Palma's Obsession, early yeah. Brian De Palma film. Uh, uh, which actually got a couple of great reviews way back in the day from Liz Smith uh, I, when it first I came love, out. I love Obsession. Uh, it's a really neat movie. John Lithgow, young John Lithgow in the movie, um, uh, Genevieve Bujol, Cliff Robertson, Brian De Palma doing uh, probably some of his best Alfred Hitchcock in, yeah. in, impersonations yeah. that, he's, that he's done over his career. Uh, neat movie, special commentary, uh, special features all over the place, including an audio commentary. Uh, with uh, Douglas Keasley, um, uh, who who made that film, uh, uh, Brian De Palma's Split Screen, a wonderful documentary. Oh there. yeah, yeah. Uh, interview with the producer with the producer of this film uh, and its editor Herb Litt. So you know, all kinds of neat stuff on here, including ultimately an interview with Brian De Palma. His film Obsession uh, from 1966, very Man, early. That was that was that was late 60s. Very Some early. I always think Obsession is like 1971. I don't know why. A little, a little bit later there. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. No, please no. <laughs> no, we don't need another generation. <laughs> they, 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 and by the way, this is all of interest because this is 1994. Yeah. So this is probably still the third or fourth. Yeah. In the chain of Texas, uh, pun pun not intended there. <laughs> That's terrible. I don't know why I did that. All kinds of special features. Uh, on on this film, uh, uh, if you look, if you're into the Texas Chainsaw, you know, canon of films, yeah. you might as well toss this one in to your stacks. There, eight millimeter. Um, I remember this. Yeah, uh, you, look, Joe Schumacher film. Um, you know, back when back when uh, Nick Cage was still sort of doing a list movies, uh, legitimate a list movies. Yeah. Uh, this one was about a guy and it was eight millimeter. What's eight millimeter? Something horrible on the eight millimeter film. Eight millimeter is kind of film, by the way, people. It, 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 uh, it's, it's trafficking in the idea that snuff films were real. Yeah. Which, which we know now they weren't, but at the time it was a you know. Joel Schumacher so. wanted. What happened to Joel? He hasn't directed a movie in forever. No, it was it, um, um, Tigerland, uh, uh, the Batman. Uh, man, when, when would he Joel was the man for a minute? And oh, then yeah. he just oh, 
you know, that Batman. Look it up. Anyway, uh, uh, interview with producer Joel Schumacher here, audio commentary uh, with him as well. Uh, it was a creepy little movie. Uh, young um, Joaquin Phoenix uh, uh, early in this movie. So, you know, it's a few things to offer from the old Joel Schumacher film. The Howling Three. I remember the first. Uh, it's, uh, these were werewolf movies. Yeah. Because we always have these sort of yeah. alternating periods between werewolf movies and vampire movies. Yep. This was during one of the werewolf periods. I remember thoroughly enjoying the original Howling film. Yeah. Uh, uh, with uh, I think it was Albert Finney and and if I'm not mistaken, the late Gregory Hines. Yeah. Uh, was in that movie, and that was actually a pretty neat movie. They were still using practical effects. Uh, uh, kind of like uh, American Werewolf in London uh, to make the you know people turn into werewolves. Uh, by the time we get to the Howling Three, they're starting to they're still using some practical effects, but they're starting to use a little CGI, which is a little bit less a little bit less fun uh, for me. Uh, Joel Schumacher turns eighty in August. Oh well, you know he was a set designer or dresser yeah. or something yeah. on Woody Allen films in the sixties, well, maybe was, the early seventies. He was part of he was part of the factory with Warhol. Well, the, the Warhol, yeah, yeah. in the mid sixties. So yeah, yeah. So is he retired yeah. though? Does he have anything there? Well, that's, I'm, I'm looking here. You know, uh, I mean, he's he's just worked so so much. But hold on, hold on, hold on. He 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 has done nothing since. He did, gosh, Flawless, Phantom of the Opera in 2004. Okay. And then he did the yeah. number 23 in 2007, Blood Creek 2009, 12 in 2010, Trespass in 2011. Trespass, I remember. Nothing since. Nothing, 2011. Yeah. He's um, made nothing for eight years. But the last few were all still viable films. Not yeah. great movies, but they were yeah. still legit films. Yeah. Phantom uh, of the Opera was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was the Gerard Butler, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Toe Pooper's film. From 1995, uh, The Mangler. Yeah. Horror mystery film. Pretty terrible. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, it's, it's, it's a total it's a film. That, that whole group of guys. Yeah. Interesting, we were talking about Buffalo Bill a second ago from um, uh, 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 the Jodie Foster film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and how Ted Raimi, Ted Raimi played that character in that film. Ted Levine is in this film. Ted Levine is the actor who played Buffalo Bill. In the Silence of the Lamps, uh, so it's kind of funny that he's actually in this bad horror movie. Uh, this performance is probably what got him the part as Buffalo Bill yeah. uh, a few years later in uh, the Silence of the Lamps, uh, 1995. Uh, anyway, anyway, the Mangler there, uh, Stallone and Cobra. Oh, dude, I rather I remember. I, I saw this movie in theaters. 19. This I'm was just see. so he and uh, Bridget Nielsen yeah. were an item at the time, so they could make a movie and look hot together on the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and then unfortunately, that whole thing happened with the Red Sonja and yeah. her. And, and, but in any case, 1986. Um, look, uh, uh, this is the best thing about this movie. Uh, the tagline: "Crime is the disease, yeah. meet the cure." Yeah, and then you got Stallone yeah. standing whatever. there with that with that Uzi or whatever the hell is wearing those sage. So that, that's that's Blame. pretty cool. Again, all kinds of special features all over this thing. New two K scan, this that and the other crime is Rambo. Not gonna, yeah, not gonna whatever. Uh, <laughs> Ten to midnight is a late life Charlie Bronson film uh, from 1983. Lee J. Thompson directing. Uh, he's playing an LAPD detective. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and uh, he's looking for a guy who's been out there hacking and slashing ladies. So basically, he's just playing. He's he's, he's doing a Clint Eastwood. He's playing a Dirty Harry. It's what he's doing. Uh, it's lots of special features again on this, including a 4K scan of the original Cinema Negative. Look, you know, you can't really go wrong with a little bit of Charlie Bronson. This is a Yorm Goblis film. No, so, no. And, and yeah, yes, I'm back in the Yorm Goblis. They did what they did back in the day. Uh, not the greatest 
work in the world, but Wilfred Brimley yeah. also walking around this movie. We're going to wrap out with the uh, with four terrific criterions. I mean, four really terrific criterions, uh, all totally different. One of them is uh, Criterion continues to to nab top tier Alfred Hitchcock movies and put them out on on Blu-ray. And uh, one of them is Notorious. Oh, Notorious. So if you have a previous edition of Notorious, you can go ahead and just sell that sucker or chuck it or make a coaster of it or whatever. Uh, this is the one. It is absolutely spectacular. Uh, Notorious from 1946, one of the first major Hollywood films that, uh, was, that had the Hitchcock stamp on it. You know, Rebecca was basically a Selznick film, but Mo Notorious really is a, uh, a Hitchcock film. You can see where it's going. You know, Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman are both just classic. This is, this is Cary Grant finally getting into his Hitchcock mode. You know, he's done other stuff, romantic comedies before, but now Hitchcock found another gear in him. Ingrid Bergman, basically one of those classic brassy ice blondes that, uh, that, that Hitchcock so adored and does it better than anyone ever else. Uh, and Claude Rains, so fantastic. Uh, you know, as a Nazi hiding out in, uh, in in the jungle, and it's just fantastic. Uh, this is a really, really sharp movie, and uh, it's suspenseful, and it's just beautifully. You could you could map the way the camera work uh, moves. It's just it's it's choreographed like a great dance. Um, gigantic piles of extras here that in classic uh, fashion. Audio commentaries that were originally recorded in 1990 and 2001 with Rudy Belmer and Alfred Hitchcock scholar Marion Keene. Um, interviews galore. There's uh, a, 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 a thing about the, uh, the, the John Bailey, who's the president of the Academy right now, has a little thing on here on the cinematography. Mm. Um, and uh, a 2009 documentary that features Isabella Rossellini, the daughter of Ingrid Bergman, obviously, uh, Peter Bogdanovich, Stephen Frears, Claude Gibral, and a whole bunch of others uh, talking about the film and its impact. Uh, there's some stuff on the storyboarding. I mean, it's amazing. It, it, this is really just a, you know, look, get it. That's all I can say. Mm. In the Heat of the Night, uh, the Best Picture winner of 1967 uh, is an absolutely sterling film, still holds up. Really, really great. Norman Jewison uh, did not win Best Director that year, but he did win uh, Producer of Best Picture. And so he got his one and only Academy Award for In the Heat of the Night, which really kind of changed the American uh, filmmaking landscape. It was the first film that really wrestled with uh, racial issues right smack in the middle of the Civil Rights era, and it won Best Picture for it. Sidney Poitier and uh, Rod Steiger just absolutely kill it. Uh, it was followed up by They Call Me Mr. Tibbs, which mm. was not quite uh, that great, but uh, still a good film. And uh, Haskell Wexler shot the hell out of this thing. I mean, it really did. It's just a fantastic movie. Again, loaded galore with extras. It's just, you know, interviews and featurettes and documentaries. Uh, Quince Jones' Breaking New Sound from 2008, all about the uh, Quince Jones soundtrack and title song with, uh, that was sung by Ray Charles. Um, that's really, really good. Then we've got Mikey and Nikki, the very underrated Elaine May directed this superb film that starred Peter Falk and John Cassavetes in 1976. Elaine May would go on to be much maligned for Ishtar, mm. very unfairly. She was previously part of a comedy act with Mike Nichols 
um, before they both became filmmakers, and they were hilarious. And then Mike Nichols went to have a very distinguished career, and Elaine May became had a very difficult career. Mm. But this is a this is a terrific film. It's uh, it's a very unusual gangster movie that uh, kind of lives in the shadows of the Godfather films and the Scorsese stuff that was coming of age in the '60s as well. But uh, this is a beautiful transfer. Has new interviews on it. Uh, with uh, Julian Schlossberg and Joyce Van Patten, uh, Richard Brody, Kerry Rickey, uh, an interview, interview from 1976 with Peter Falk is really, really good. Um, it's a great film. Cassavetes has never been better as an actor, and Peter Falk is very unusual in it. So, yeah. And then the last one, Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days by Christian Munju. Yeah. This is the Romanian film from 2007 that, uh, that absolutely ripped people apart. It won the, the uh, Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, it's Munju's second feature. It is effectively the story of an abortion. And uh, it is not a political film. It is just simply a film that, that basically analogizes that abortion to the political situation in Romania mm. before and after, the, uh, after communism. The uh, actor who plays the abortionist, Vlad Ivanov, received supporting the Supporting Actor Award from the uh, LA Film Critics, and so deservedly. He is so chilling in this movie. I didn't want to get anywhere near yeah. him when he. You just look at the actor and you just think it was a little too real. Yeah. I, I, I realize you're an actor, but yeah. I'm not going to take my chances. Yeah. I don't want to be near you. Yeah. Uh, Can we interview Christian for something? Like, uh, it's four months, three weeks, and two days. It was a tremendous movie. Absolutely a tremendous movie. It's uh, it's must see. It is so tough to watch this movie. It is so difficult to watch, but it is such brilliant filmmaking. Mm. And I don't say that easily about Romanian movies. Yeah. Because I can't stand Lazarescu and then... Oh, the death of police Mr. Lazarescu. Police yeah. adjective and all the rest of those boring I, things. I, I enjoyed both of those. Oh. You, know, you know what's neat about Mikey and Nikki? Huh. Uh, uh, people, people are very familiar. Some people are familiar with the Meisner method of oh, yeah. acting. Yeah, yeah. Sanford Meisner. Yeah, is in that movie. That's right. Yeah. So if you ever want to, you know, it's, it's good. Say, it's not Sanford can act. By the way, kid is really good. Tim's tidbits. <laughs> I know it's brilliant. Crap. I it's great. Crap. It's fantastic. All right. Thank you, everybody. We uh, we will be back next week, uh, and hopefully with some more Oscar tidbits as we just let the, let it all kind of percolate and sink in. Have a great week. Thank you.